Welcome to the Vineyard Justice Network podcast. Vineyard Justice Network exists to equip pastors and leaders to pursue God's kingdom and enact His justice. I'm Daniela Rojas, and I am a VJN intern from Spain. Today, I have the honor of interviewing Marius Bowman, lead pastor of the Bern Vineyard in Switzerland. Hello, Marius. We're excited to have you in the podcast. Hello, Daniela. It's great to be with you today. So in order to get to know you more, can you give us some background on you and the Burn Vineyard? My parents have planted the Burn Vineyard in 1981. I was seven years old, so I grew up with the church. The local church has kind of been my sister for the whole time, and uh, it's really the love of my life. And I was a teenager when God started to speak to me about the church and just put a real love for the local church in my heart. And it was five years ago that uh, I've become senior pastor of the church my parents have planted and led together with a, a team of other people. As a pastor's kid, how did, I guess, what helped you become a pastor and make that your thing and not something that was your parents' thing? I think one thing that was really important was to see that my parents, you know, what they lived and what they uh, represented on Sundays was the same thing. So what they were saying on Sunday and what they lived was just authentic. It was real. And I think, you know, that was one part that was very important for me to see, you know, faith, actually, it is real. It's nothing fake. I'm not, I don't have to live something because my father is a pastor, uh, because he was honest when they had struggles or when they had fights. He would talk about that on Sunday. I think that was one thing. The second thing was I was 11 years old at a conference with uh, the Vineyard on healing. That was 1986 or 1987. And I prayed for a man who was blind on one eye and he was healed. So he, as we were praying, we were a group of people. He suddenly started to shout and scream and cry and said, I can see again, I can see again. And first it was only black and white. And when we kept on praying, he, he screamed out again and cried and said, I see colors, I see colors. And I, I was 11 years old. That's, you know, before you ask a lot of questions. And I think that has really marked me. And probably the third thing was worship. I grew up with worship and I would just... You know, when I was a teenager, I would worship for hours, just spend time with God and experiencing his presence. And the reality of his presence was just so amazing. And I would wait for the next Touching the Father's Heart, a tape, actually, that came out then. And uh, that upbringing, you know, just the experiencing the presence and power of God, that has marked me so much that, you know, just the love for God and his church was just natural. So you have grown with the church. You've had that privilege of of always being part of it. What are what are some things that that you have learned or that you are trying to keep more moving forward as you are now the lead pastor? 
I think one thing I learned growing up in a church, and actually a church that has become quite big for Switzerland, we're one of the larger churches in Switzerland with, with a, a bit more than a thousand people. Uh, one thing I've got to learn is the power of culture. Uh, and culture, I would define as, you know, the identity of who we are. It's not just what we do that matters, but who we are, because what we do comes out of who we are. And if we know who we are and if we have a healthy identity, what we do flows out of that and is healthy as well. And, and so I think that was that was very important for me to realize, wow, who we are as a church is extremely important. So we, we have defined uh, who we are as a church. We've defined a culture, and I'm not, I'm not talking about culture because that word is, you need a lot of explanation to find out what is culture, and everybody will think uh, differently about it and will define it differently. So I have started to talk about the life in the vineyard, the life in Vineyard Burn. What does life in Vineyard Burn look like? Because culture is nothing else than uh, what is life in the U.S.? What is life in Spain like? And that will give you aspects of the culture. And so as a church, we, we have found out five cornerstones of who we are. And things we do come out of, uh, of that part of who we are. And um, as we're talking, uh, you know, with the, Justice Network, uh, you know, compassion, living a compassionate lifestyle is, is just a compassion that we turn to people in need as part of who we are. And that has actually become part of our DNA very early on. Uh, I remember it was only about a year after we were, we planted the church. We lived together, 13 of us lived together in a big house. The Sunday services were in the living room. And we, we had people who lived with us. One guy who came out of prison, he had, uh, as he had taken drugs, he had murdered someone. He came to prison and when he was released, they were looking for a place for him to stay. Uh, and so he was living with us. And, and uh, after a few months, he, 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 he slipped and he fell back into drugs and died shortly afterwards. Actually, he ran off with our money, the money of our food. <laughs> Uh, of, of, you know, but from a very early stage, I realized in the family, there's room for everybody. You know, the, 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 and if the broken don't have room in the family, where on earth shall they turn? And so, you know, I realized people, people can come the way they are. They don't have to get changed in order to come to the family. They are changed in the family and sometimes they're not. But in a family, you know, there's room for everybody the way the person is. So that was, a, you know, thinking of compassion, you know, that there's room for everybody and that everybody is valuable. That was something I learned very early on. And then when, when John Wimber talked to us about the poor, he would say, you can't be a vineyard if you don't care for the poor. Now, imagine we're in Switzerland. Switzerland is one of the richest countries. Uh, I was about 16 years old when I heard that, and I, it made me wonder, you know, can we be a vineyard at all? Are there any poor in Switzerland? Um, my father, actually, at that time, he, he, he read the Bible, you know, just seeing what, does, what the Bible says on compassion and on the poor. And as he was reading, he found four groups of people that have God's special attention, orphans, widows refugees and the materially poor and so he would talk to God about that you know serving four was like overwhelming and he said God send us one first 
And he felt that God said, I'm going to send you refugees first. You're going to meet Africans next week. And it was only three days later that he met a group of uh, Africans that started to come to our service. And it turned out that it became a, a that we got an African church as part of Vineyard Burn. You know, French-speaking African and the second group that was English-speaking African. Uh, the big problem was that 50% of these people had to leave Switzerland every year, you know, because they, they weren't allowed to stay here. Um, the government would tell them that they had to leave. And it's quite hard to build up a church when 50% of the people have to leave every year. But through that, something has happened we never expected to happen. You know, some of these people who came to faith in Vineyard Burn, um, they went to other European nations. Some even went back to Africa and decided that what they had experienced here, that they wanted to do at the place where they went to. And so my parents just now came back from Angola and Congo, and there are about 50 vineyards that have started out of that uh, group of people. Some people that went back and then around them, churches started to be planted. So out of that huge challenge, we are now connected with 40, 50 vineyards in Angola and Congo. And that was just so encouraging. So that was just the first start. Yeah, it started locally. And with the challenge of them having to leave, it became international. It became a global thing. And so that was just our, our start in, in the whole thing of compassion. And then we had a fantastic lady from England here um, who, who spoke at a conference. Her name was Anne Watson, and she told us how they uh, collect food on Sundays, like rice, you know, things you can keep, a liter of oil, and how they would distribute it during the week uh, to people who were trying to get out of debt. And so we thought, you know, we can't change the problems of the world. It's just too big. But actually, you know, bringing along rice, pasta, oil or something, we can do that. Everyone can do that. And so we started to to collect food and distribute it during the week as well. And out of that, uh, uh, quite a large ministry to the poor started. And now you can see God has opened the doors and suddenly we realize there are poor in Switzerland. And, and through that experience, you know, over the last year, it, it has become um, actually something we're known for. We started to do something and it has become part of who we are now. So if people think of Vineyard Burn, they will talk about that ministry to the poor. And so as it has become part of our DNA, part of who we are, part of our genetic code, not just something we do, but who we are, that as God has opened our eyes for the poor, uh, more and more of these things started to happen. Like you have asked me to talk about the refugee crisis, you know, when, when Two years ago, when the, the big refugee crisis in Europe hit uh, our continent, uh, of course, a lot of people in Vineyard Burn started to ask, now, what, what does God say to us? What does that mean for us? Because we can't turn our eyes away from the need of uh, all these people. Um, uh, even though, you know, in Europe, uh, pretty much as all over the world, there are nationalist uh, and populist voices that try to protect our own nations. But as a follower of Christ, you know, we can't, we can't be led by fear. We can't be led 
uh, in a way to protect what God has given us. But what God has given us, he's given us to give it away to others. So if we see people in need, it is, it is our calling to share what he has given us. So, so we wondered, what is our job here? And actually, it was quite interesting. We had a, a friend of ours, a prophetic friend who visited us uh, three years ago, and he, he prophesied to us and he said, I feel it's against my personal political opinion. I feel that God is telling you, don't fight against immigration. I'm leading these people here because I want to, I'm going to lead people from, from, from nations to Switzerland because I want to uh, show myself to them uh, through you. So he said that before the whole crisis had started. So as the, the following Sunday, we had a guy, a Roma, uh, which is a gypsy for, from, from Eastern Europe, who came and asked if he could get baptized. Uh, and the, the, actually, the following weeks, we had about four to six people who had told us that Jesus appeared to them in dreams here in Switzerland. And so we had a prophetic word that God is going to lead refugees here. Uh, we had, we, we had, we could observe that he actually was doing that and had begun already just the weeks after. And so as a church, we said, well, if God is leading these people here, we have to face our fears. So we started to talk about the fears we have, to confront the fears that keep us from embracing what God wants to do through us. And it was only a few months later that the whole refugee crisis hit Switzerland, or actually hit Europe, not Switzerland, Europe, um, Germany more than Switzerland, actually. But because of that prophetic word, we had been prepared. And so when, when it hit us, we started to help. We started to send several tons of clothes to because they were freezing especially when it when winter came closer we we started to send money you know we we sent i don't know sixty thousand swiss francs which is quite a lot of money uh, you know looking at our budget uh it's just from people who gave it to us because we were doing something there um and then when when the borders in macedonia were closed and you know, 17,000 people were, were just stuck in Greece at the border of Macedonia. And all the news were coming in, uh, how bad the situation was there. It just hit me several times. You know, whenever I saw an, a, 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 a newspaper or a television news magazine that was talking about Greece, about Idomeni, I started to cry and God started to penetrate my heart. But it felt so overwhelming. You know, what can I do? You know, there's 17,000 people. It's just you can't do nothing. And, and so it, it went on for a few months. And when again, you know, I, I seen a news uh, uh, article on it one day, it, I started to cry again. It just hit me. And so I said, well, why don't we ask that NGO we work with? to send a scout down to see if something could be done, if the need actually is, uh, you know, that big and if something could be done. And I expected that he would come back and say, no, you can't do nothing. You know, there are tons of organizations there already or whatever. But when he came back, he said, yes, the need is huge. And yes, you can do something. So I knew, okay, God starts to speak, you know, so I talked to that NGO and we, we, we wondered or we discussed if we should send down teams. And I knew that, you know, finding finance for an outreach like that wouldn't be a problem because um, that's something people give too easily. 
I knew it wouldn't be a problem to find short, uh, ter- short, how do you call that? Short term. So find people who would go there for an outreach for a week. That wouldn't be a, or two. That wouldn't be a problem. I knew the biggest problem would be to find somebody who would go there, uh, you know, for a month or two in order to organize the whole thing and make sure that the short term people who come uh, don't lose all the know how that they would know what to do. So we, we, together with the NGO, we said, God, if, if in the next five days we find people that are willing to come and be there till October, which would have been three, four months, we're going to do it. And with that, within five days, we had people for four or five months who were staying there. So we started to do the outreaches in April 2016 and went to Edomania, and it was just horrible, you know. I went there to start it out, and it, just imagine 7,000 people living in thin tents, not like comfortable tents. And it was cold. It was raining. There was a storm. When I got there, uh, a windstorm just dis- killed like 50% of all the tents. Uh, there were a lot of kids, thousands of kids. They were freezing. They were wet. It was horrible. And, you know, they were, they were just stuck not knowing what to do they didn't know, they didn't have food and there were a lot of organizations there but all those unfortunately there was only one church from greece that was doing stuff so the church in greece has been great but no other christians from europe um so we started out just helping all those left organizations because they had great programs they didn't have enough money they didn't have enough people all of them were, were tired so we just helped the organizations that were there. And every week we sent like five to 15 people down from a lot of different churches who joined in. And when I started the outreach, what was really, uh, what really hit me was uh, that I realized, you know, I was so scared and overwhelmed when I was back in Switzerland. But when I came to Idomeni and helped, I realized it's just so easy. It doesn't take nothing to give a value and dignity to a person, you know, to bring him some food, to, to whatever, sort clothes down there, to just sit and listen to somebody tell you his story and his challenge and, and, and cry with him or laugh with him. And uh, that, that I was so ashamed to realize I felt so overwhelmed when actually it just cost me like $200 for a few days. And I gave hope and dignity and value to, to tons of people down there. And so we've done these outreaches for about five months and it was just, it was great. You know, we found friends. That's amazing. So can you tell us any story, something that might have stuck out to you? You mentioned that you had gone there. So can you share a story, any story, if you have one? Yeah, just one story. You know, when you help, it's, it's, we, we help because God sees the value of these people. Uh, and so we don't help with, a, you know, I don't know how you would call that in English, with, with an agenda. In a sense, people are not projects. We help because we're touched by God and where we give room to that, it it will be possible to share him as well because he's our motor. So we help anyways, even if we can't talk about him. 
But then along the way, always, you know, there are these opportunities. And we just had one, my last experience was just fantastic when we went to Greece in December and we, we, I was there with a person, a family was sharing their story, how they fled from the war and it was just touching and there was not enough room in the tent for the whole team. So I was waiting outside and there was a boy who, who had hurt his finger, you know, nothing big <laughs> thinking of the big trouble they're in. But I asked if I could pray for him. And so his finger was healed and he asked his friend who had uh, pain in his finger as well, because he had hurt his finger as they were praying too. So this guy was healed. So then they went to the grandma who had some problem and they got the grandma there and we prayed for her and she was healed. And, and then it just started to spread. These kids were telling everybody what had happened and, and a movement started to happen out of that. And then in the end, because they were thinking that we would heal them. So we told the translator that it wasn't us, that it was Jesus healing and that he should pray for the next person. And so our translator, who, who, who was not a Christian, you know, prayed for the next person, and that person got healed. And so in the end, that translator told me, you know, I couldn't tell my parents that I don't believe in God, that that evening has changed my mind. I believe in Jesus now. And it was just amazing. And so just to see, you know, when we start to serve people, we always want to include the king and we want to introduce the king. Not with a, with an agenda, but the king just wants to show his love in different ways to people. And for me, it was great in that encounter there to find out, you know, I've gone there, but Jesus has been there all the time. So I have joined him where he was already at work and had already prepared people. And whenever you, you go and start to do something, that's a cool thing. We don't have to be nervous about him showing up. Because he's been there way before we ever arrived. Mm. I find it really interesting um, knowing that you are from Switzerland. And like you mentioned earlier, it is one of the richest countries in the world. But now you're in this position when you're, where your church has been able to help a lot. So in order to make this more practical, what, what has helped you get to that place where you're able to help so many people or to partner with God and enact his justice. We, we've done a series of conferences with uh, David Roos, David and Anita Roos called Passion and Compassion. And I remember, I think it was Anita or David who said, you know, that uh, she was in a city and she wouldn't see the poor and suddenly God opened her eyes. You know, and, you know, with John Wimber saying, you can't be a vineyard if you don't care for the poor, you know, it's, it's part of our DNA. Caring for the poor is, it, it's, it's, it's part of who we are as a vineyard. And not only that, if we think of the kingdom of God and kingdom of God being, uh, you know, the rule and reign of Jesus where people listen to him and where actually uh, follow, you know, the, the, show the life, how life around him works. You know, caring for the poor is just part of, of the deal in there. It's part of the kingdom experience. Because in the kingdom of God, in heaven, you know, that there are no poor, you know, the, you know, people will be cared about. You will, we will not look for ourselves, but look for each other. And you know, kind of, so we, we want to live the lifestyle of the kingdom of God. And, and it really takes this, this thing where God opens our eyes to the poor. And once the eyes are open, you will see them all over. 
And, and Anita, Anita Roos said, well, you know, you, you start with praying. God opened my eyes that I see people the way you see them. It was shocking to hear John Wimber say, you can't be a vineyard if you don't care for the poor. Because it was quite exclusive. You know, if there are no, you know, poor in Switzerland, this would have meant we can't be a vineyard. But we are, you know. So, so we started to wrestle with it. And I think, you know, that's, it's, it starts out there. You know, God, show me the poor. Show me the people you want to minister to. Open my eyes for the things I can't see. Show me the reality of the kingdom, how you want to break in in our region where we are. And then it starts with the person next door. You know, it doesn't necessarily start with refugees in Greece. It, for us, it started with the African that was here in Switzerland, you know, that, we, that my father was having lunch at the next table and they started to talk. And as they were talking, connections started to happen. And through the connection and interest, mutual interest, you know, where you're interested in, in the, 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 the person who sits at the next table, it all started out. And who would have dreamed that out of that short um, encounter, you know, 50 churches in Angola and Congo would, would be planted. But it started out with him listening to the person at the next table, being interested in the person next door. And I think that's where we have to just start and pray and, you know, ask God, show me the poor, show me where you want to use me. And then it's not that we serve the poor in the sense of, you know, we, we've got it and, and we serve the person who is in trouble because that way we create a gap and we don't, you know, but Jesus approached people on the same level. You know, it was a friendship. It's not that we are better that we're above them. And so if, if being interested in people and in meeting people, listening to people, being touched by their story, even if, even if the, you know, they caused the trouble themselves, you know, it, it just starts out something. And that's where it starts. And where we are faithful and little, you know, in the caring for the person next door, maybe our neighbor, God will give us more and show us more where he wants to move. And the more we follow, you know, his lead in that, the, the more opportunities we will get. It's quite easy, actually. As we approach the end of the podcast today, can you share maybe an encouragement that has even helped you um, with, with justice regarding this, this topic? Oh, the, the, the most encouraging thing to me is that God doesn't expect something from me I can't do. You know, he's all about people. So, so if, I, if I'm willing to, you know, be touched with what he's touched with, you know, and it starts with one person, it, it can change something. And just thinking that that one conversation my dad had with that African, what happened out of that is just unbelievable. And to think that we could, you know, we should plant 50 churches, this and there, that could be an overwhelming thought. But to just open up for what God has put in front of me, being interested in a person God is, you know, leading me to, I can do that. That's not too, that's not too difficult. <laughs> you know, 
So I think that's that's really interesting, and I really try to live with that open heart and open mind just to see God. Is there somebody you want to bless through me? Where are you at work? Is there somebody you want to use to bless me? You know, because it's not a one-way street. It's a, it is a two-way street there. You know, is there something you want to teach me? Maybe through somebody who's poor, through a refugee here in Switzerland, you know, whatever. And just to be open to that, I can do that. For more resources related to this episode, as well as to listen to previous podcast episodes, go to www.vineyardjusticenetwork.org. Follow us on Facebook at Vineyard Justice Network and on Twitter and Instagram at Vineyard Justice.